Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Well, good day, everybody. Um, welcome to today's program. I'm sorry to report that we are still having some of the technical issues that plagued us on our last program and on our parents' program last week, whereby um, I'm unable to see that people have called in and therefore on the switchboard that I use for this program unable to bring them on the air. Now there is hope because um, uh, the folks who run Blog Talk Radio have let me know that if I will just uh, email them when the problem arises, they will try to fix it while we're in the middle of the show. And so the big question is, will they uh, be able to do that between uh, now and, uh, well, hopefully the next 10 to 15 minutes? So I'm going to invite our uh, this is supposed to be our educators panel day. This is sort of one of the most exciting programs of the month for me. Um, we're going to try to resolve the technical issues, though, and so I want to ask our um, four educators who serve on our panel to uh, hang in there, stay on the line if you have called in, and uh, we're going to try to resolve the technical issue um, midstream here, on the fly, as they say, in the blog talk radio business, and we'll see if we can um, get this squared away once and for all. This is a relatively new problem that uh, I've been experiencing with my blog talk radio programs, and of course, because one of the best features of the program is to have it be interactive, and let there be no doubt, one of the best features of the program is to be able to bring our panels, our parenting panel and our educators panel together uh, every month. Um, the ideal way to do that is, um, well, the only way to do that that I know of is to bring you on through the Blog Talk Radio mechanism. So we're going to find out if uh, Blog Talk Radio can get this problem fixed midstream here, and um, we're going to talk about some other stuff and see if uh, Blog Talk Radio will respond to my request my request, my urgent plea for help. In the meantime, well, I can tell you what I want to talk about today, just to uh, give everybody the heads up. I want to talk about, with our educators panel, a question that often comes up when I'm uh, speaking either uh, to general audiences or to schools in particular, and that is, how do we get this ball rolling? How do we, how do we uh, get the other people in the building who weren't at this talk on board? Um, 
And that's, quite frankly, something that I can spend a great deal of time talking about, but it's also something that I wanted our um, panel uh, to weigh in on. Um, So once again, just to let our panel know, um, I don't have any way of knowing if you've called in or not, but I'm betting, given what I know of all of you, that you all have. The problem is you're not showing up on my switchboard, and um, therefore I cannot bring you on the program live because I have no way to activate the fact uh, that you've called in. Now we are completely depending on the folks at Blog Talk Radio to respond to my urgent plea for help. Um, If they don't during the program, by golly, we may have to reschedule our educators panel uh, perhaps for next Monday. Um, Hate when that happens, but... um, well, we'll do it if we have to and if and if our panel can can do it. But uh, once again, stay on the line if you've called in, and um, we'll take it from there if the Blog Talk Radio folks respond uh, the way they promised to. All right. Uh, how do you get this ball rolling? When the panel comes on, and I'm going to be optimistic and assume that they are going to be on the air with me today, uh, they can weigh in. Let me weigh in. Getting people to buy into collaborative problem-solving sometimes just means making them aware of a few key true facts. Here's true fact number one, and we can use data to support this if we need to, data from suspension, detention, data about which kids in the building building seem to be accessing those interventions most frequently. And as you've heard me say on this program before, if a kid, if a student is accessing the school discipline program frequently, that's proof positive that the school discipline program is not working for that student. If the school discipline program was working for that student, then he wouldn't be accessing the school discipline program frequently. So one of the most important pieces to getting the ball rolling in a building is to make people aware of the data. The data that tell us, look, there's these kids sometimes in some buildings two or three, in some buildings 10 or 20, in some buildings, well, most of the kids in the building. I was at a talk um, recently, doing a talk recently, where an educator told me that, um, well, this is a secondary school educator. She teaches four classes a day, and she was telling me that, um, well, 80 to 90% of the kids in her classes are accessing the school discipline program frequently. There's some good data. Uh, Good data saying to us, apparently, what we're doing in our building is not being responsive to the hand we've been dealt. Those of you who know collaborative problem solving know that one of the key philosophies of collaborative problem solving is that the definition of good parenting good treatment and good teaching is being responsive to the hand you've been dealt. If the vast majority of kids in a classroom are accessing a discipline program that's not working frequently, then what we're doing in our classroom and in potentially our entire building is not being responsive to the hand we've been dealt. Apparently we are still doing something not exactly sure why we're doing it or who we're doing it for, but it's apparently not being done for the students who are in our building because it's not working 
for them. And there are buildings like that. There are buildings in which the vast majority of kids in the building are have massive piles of unsolved problems and have social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. That is a building that cannot be run like any other building. It's a building that's on a different playing field. It's a building that has to do things differently. But now let's say that this is not one of those buildings. Now what we're stuck with is a building that seems to be working reasonably well for the majority of kids in the building, but isn't working well for the minority with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. Now, what are we going to do about that? Well, first we're going to show people the data. How are we going to get them on board? We're going to help them become aware of the fact that X percentage of the kids in our building are accessing our school discipline program and accounting for X percentage, a much higher percentage, of the discipline that is beating, being meted out. Those are usually rather stark, rather depressing data that give us information about what's not working in our building. Now, you know, we get the percentages of kids who didn't pass muster on statewide mandated testing, and we pay close attention to that. And we ramp up services for those kids so that they can actually someday hit the targets on our high-stakes testing. This is the exact same mentality. Um, data often tell the tale. And then we're hoping for the next logical question. Now what? See, um, if people are not aware of the obvious, our school discipline program is not working for the students to whom it is most frequently being applied, then the data will tell the tale. And now that issue is not outside of their awareness anymore. It is inside of their awareness now. Now they know. And the next logical question would be, what are we going to do differently? Good. That awareness piece cannot be underestimated. It's kind of hard to provide a rationale for why we ought to be doing things differently unless we have data telling us that what we're doing now isn't working. Now, here's what we will bump into. We will bump into, but it is working for everybody else. No, it's not not needed for everybody else. Everybody else isn't behaving themselves because of the school discipline program. Everybody else is behaving themselves because they can behave themselves, because they have the skills to behave themselves. And so, yes, we have a ready answer for um, um, I'm just receiving word from blog talk radio so it's interrupting my thought uh hi there this should not interfere with the operation of your show was there any issue because of this did you happen to refresh your browser by chance i've never had to refresh my browser before but by golly i'm doing it now let's see what happens to the program when i do that hooray <laughs> it worked. Does that mean I have to stop talking now? 
So I'm delighted that I have to stop talking now. It looks to me like we have um, three of our uh, uh, parents, our educators panel on with us. And I'm going to, um, of course, after the program, thank the gentleman at Blog Talk Radio. In fact, I'm going to email him now and let him know that it worked. Just a second, everybody. I really apologize for interfering with the show this way. Um, very interesting. I've never had to refresh before, but glad that it worked. Um, so now I'm going to bring on to the program... Um, Let's see. Tom, can you hear me? I'm here. Our principal is on the air. Basil, Basil, can you hear me? I can hear you, but I'm standing in a snowstorm outside of my house. <laughs> I this heard is the how wind much... blowing. Okay, this is how much I'm committed to your program. I'm standing here in a <laughs> snowstorm because that's the only place I can get reception. So for the first 10 minutes when I was listening to you, I was going... This is cool, but I'm really cold, you know? So we're on. Do you, do you have to stand in the snowstorm to participate in the program? Yeah, yes, I do. Yes, I do. It's the only place I get reception, here in the here in the round of snow. It's great, though. I'm hearing your voice, and you're hearing me. Okay, we're connected. And we Welcome hear the from wind. Canada. We hear the wind yeah. blowing. Yeah, it's part oh, of the ambiance. <laughs> you know what? That, that makes proof that this program is real life, yes? Yes. And now I'm going to bring in our caller from New York, except we're supposed to have two callers from New York, and I'm not sure which one we have. Who do we have yeah. here? Hi, it's Alicia Cresses. Hi, Alicia. Um, glad to you? have you on the program. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am well. Sorry for the delay, and I'm delighted that uh, simply refreshing my browser solved the problem. <laughs> you think I would have thought of that myself, but you know what? This is not my gig. Um, what we have... We, we have three of our educators uh, on for our educators panel today, and so we're going to move forward. What I was blabbering on about before I figured out, before the blog talk radio gentleman helped me figure out how to bring you all on the air, was how to get the ball rolling um, in a building. And I had reached the point at which I was talking about people are now aware, because of whatever we've done, data perhaps, I find that to be the most compelling, we got a problem in our building. Um, so let me ask the three of you first. Do you have anything to add to, um, first of all, how to get the ball rolling initially, but perhaps moreover, how to increase people's awareness of the need to be doing something differently in the first place? And any of you should feel free to join in here. Um, anybody want to take a stab at that? Well, I, I think often what helps is if you have a success story, like if there's a, a designated student that everybody's had trouble with and nothing seems to work and they're on the verge of kicking the student out indefinitely and you're able to do a little collaborative problem solving and small steps at least are showing that thing, something different can work, that that helps a lot. I'd like to see starting with the parents, um, last year when I taught kindergarten, the, the parents would come in and they're very concerned. They've, they have their children, their first, some of them, their first opportunity with school settings. And if they've had preschool issues before, they're worried um, 
about what this is going to So if you start with the parents and having a conversation when you're getting to know them and where their issues are, I can recall having a conversation with a set of parents and I, and I, I don't do sticker cards. And she said, thank God, because they don't work with my son. So that allowed us to have a conversation about what were some of the things she was noticing, and then I was able to talk about the collaborative problem-solving method and move forward with them. I, I guess my question is more about how to um, get other teachers on board with the need to be doing something differently, unless that's what you were referring to, Alicia. Um, I am a little bit, because if, when you have the parents and they see that their child then they're going to go into the school looking for something that worked before. And if it worked before and that was successful, but then maybe it stopped being tried or applied in another setting, for their child by talking with the teacher. Um, the teacher's point of view, making sure that you have that conversation with the other teachers in the building about what's going on and letting know what it is you're doing, why, and how it's and maybe even asking them for input so they can feel a part of it. So they realize that it's a lot of heads together working to make this child successful. All right, Tom, I was, you want to weigh in here? I do. Uh, I, I found the interesting idea of I hadn't consciously planned to share stories, although stories, parables have always been effective teaching tools, and, and I, I may actually sit down and think about specific students that I've worked with and using those stories to help people to see that point of view. I, I really liked that making that kind of um, implicit activity explicit for myself, you know, planning out some of those ideas. But I, I think that for me, it, what it really comes down to is the culture of the school, and, and that begins by the principal or the leader being, A, committed to finding a third, a quote, third alternative with regard to discipline, recognizing the need, having their, their lens changed. So that's the first step is for the leader to be on board. And the second step is to listen to the staff so that you can reflect back to people that the solution to the problems that they face requires um, a collaborative effort between parents, teachers, administrators, and, and the student being involved, which is what the collaborative problem-solving method teaches. It teaches us how to engage the students in coming up with, with an answer that's actually effective for them. I guess my question is, um, and I've, I've muted Basel temporarily. He can still hear us, but I found, Basel, that the, um, the um, blizzard that you're in um, was making it hard for us to hear other folks. So I'm going to unmute you when, when after I ask the question and see if you want to respond but we're going to limit the um, howling sound temporarily. <laughs> uh, and as you can tell, uh, no more howling at the moment from, from Basel. Um, I guess my question is, if a school – I guess I have two questions. First of all, um, does a school do this one student at a time? In other words, is the effort – and I think it can break either way, but I'm interested to hear what you all have to say – is the effort – um, one student at a time, in which case this is not a whole building initiative. It's an initiative oriented toward one student only, in which case we're only working with the school disciplinarians and the student's teachers. 
Or is this much better done, um, an entire building at once, um, in which case we're going to have folks who are enthusiastic about this and we're going to have folks who are extremely unenthusiastic about this. And um, how do we handle that, I guess, is my big question. But, uh, Tom, uh, so I don't have to unmute Basel just yet, uh, let me give you and Alicia first crack at, at that question, at those two questions. Uh, well, I, I think that it it kind of depends on how your staff is. I, I it, the, the culture in a school is a complex entity in itself because schools have uh, a unique culture with uh, the tenuring process and the experience that people could have and all the different things that come through the door with just regard to the staff. So I think that my answer, as usual, Ross, would be that there are, are uh, I would handle it based on the needs of my staff. My current building that I'm in, we're doing it whole building because I met with each teacher individually for 35 to 45 minutes in the summer and asked them what they needed, wanted, and what they thought was going well. And they very consistently told me that they needed more skills in working with students who are struggling. So I used that opportunity to have them all read Lost at School. And then we're having building-based discussions at this point about what to do with uh, collaborative problem solving and, and the skills that are required to be successful at it. Uh, so I think that, that in this building that I'm in, a whole building approach has been really beneficial. I think that uh, for my personality, I, I, that's the way I would generally go. I think there are some buildings where if there's a lot of resistance, if you could get you know a core group of people together who are really committed to implementing the model, they could then get results with that and begin doing what Basel was saying about the storytelling and sharing their stories about how things were going better, and then that would pull people on board as well. Mm -hmm. I have to to agree there because I'd have to say that I am the school district where, or the school I might add, where there is a core group of us who are working together with children. I actually kept my children. This is my second year with them, and we've been applying the collaborative problem-solving method for them. It's not necessarily um, something that school-wide that is being done, but it's being done by a core group of us. I wish that I was in a place where it, where it was because I think that there's, I know that there are benefits to both um, the behaviorally challenged students and children who don't have um, behavioral issues or emotional issues because it still engages them in the process and watching how to interact with children who are difficult, something they need to do in life anyway. So I continue to share my personal stories and allow the people around me to see, casually work it into the conversation during the lunch group, ask for some input, I'm trying something with this, what might work, and see if I can get them to at least initiate a conversation or engage in a conversation about what it is that I'm doing. And the more that we have, then the further we can start to move forward. So let me ask this, um, um, Alicia. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, there couldn't be a better uh, advocate for collaborative problem solving than you, just given uh, what an enthusiastic personality you are. My question is, and I, I feel, by the way, I want to add, I feel terrible that Basel is standing in a snowstorm at the moment, a blizzard, and yeah. we have him muted. But Basel, we're going to bring you on as soon as Alicia answers this question. Um, and by the way, for our listeners, Alicia is a general ed classroom teacher, and Tom is a uh, elementary school principal. So we have 
those two constituencies represented. And Basel, of course, is a uh, weatherman uh, in his school. <laughs> but um, uh, Alicia, let me ask you this. Um, when this is not whole school, uh, as Tom is doing in his school, and it's a core group, the, the teachers in your building, and we're not going to name names, of course, but the teachers in your building who you feel have been um, less, enthusiastic about even thinking about collaborative problem solving. Have you found that your enthusiasm and the fact that there's a core group doing it, to to what degree do you feel like you've made a dent as relates to the people who are um, not part of the core group and who who, who may not really necessarily be all that interested in doing things differently? Um, How's that going in your building? Well, every day it's a continual push forward. Um, I'd like to think that I made, because I've kept my children for two years, and when we were doing our kindergarten roundup, because I'm working kindergarten and first grade, one of my, what I wanted to show was that no matter how young the child was, you can do this with them. So I took on a little bit more challenging or what they said on paper was a bit more challenging of students because I wanted to show people that here are the success stories with that and maybe it would start to cause um, some change or some people looking a different way. Because of my enthusiasm, occasionally that might turn another colleague off because I'm so excited about it. So I've tried to tone down and be a little bit more still advocating but a little less loud and bringing the parents in because now I've had these children for two years and if I'm going to make a difference with them and their parents are seeing success, which they are, they can start pushing in and talking to the other teachers that are going to be coming up about what was working for their child and how things were going. And then hopefully that will start to lead into more discussions with fellow colleague members. So after this year, I'm hoping to see a little bit more of a dent. Got it. And and now, with great trepidation, um, I'm going to bring in Basil, who is in the middle <laughs> of a blizzard. Basil, are you still there, or is the phone frozen I am, your actually, ear? No, I, I, what I've done now is I've gone between the the house and the hay barn, and I think I've got a bit of a a bit of a cocoon here. But you know what it's like when you're being like I I didn't know you'd cut me off because I had all these ideas and I was yelling them out and I went. They're not listening to me. And then when I heard I was muted, I went, oh, man, I could have said so many things. And now I've forgotten them all, of course. Oh, no. But the two, but the two things that sort of – because I tried to remember was, one, that Tom had mentioned about the the, the importance of, of school culture when you're trying to make changes here. And one of the things that's really clear to me is that some principals uh, got to principalship without a lot of strong uh, personal uh, interpersonal skills, like they were good at something else and they're good managers or whatever it was that, that got them to that position. And many things they do really well, but they don't do well with children that don't follow the rules and that don't work with plan A. So try them to just take the idea of plan B and collaborative problem solving, and this is a good thing, you should try it. They're often the, the biggest resistor. So what we I find is that you have to actually work as um you know with that small group of people and get them to get some successes demonstrable successes that they can say look at this can work and especially 
well, the teacher's using this idea and it's working. This child in her class is golden and then goes into the other classroom and is a jerk again. You know, it, there's a reason for that. It's not just a personality thing, you know, that there's somebody's got some skills. So th the more people see this working, to me, the more I believe that other people, the, the naysayers will go, okay, nothing else has worked. At least it's worth a try. Okay, you, you can find that it works out that way. Well, and although yeah. your school system is, is um, early in the process of implementing collaborative problem solving, but you do find yeah. that it works that way? Yeah, we, we have some people that are really keen, and some of our guidance counselors are really, you know, they've been working really hard to make this happen because, it, you know, nothing else has worked. And, and it follows, you know, that whole humanism, you know, that we see in the restorative justice and, and many other things, developmental assets. There's so much that we, we don't take into account about the strengths that kids have just because they're acting out, you know. And, and I think what collaborative problem solving does is it brings that humanism that that's that's really obvious when it's working, you know. Well, and I think I agree with that, Basil. And and I think that just I live in Maine, so I I'm right on the edge of that storm. We're uh, okay. we're, we're getting the, the the it's quite snowy outside my door too, and so I can relate. And I I, I think that um, it's really important to recognize the that there there's the collaborative problem solving steps of empathy you know, the statement of concern and the invitation. But then there's also almost a, a bigger thing before that can really happen. It's the uh, the changing of the lens of the adults. And I think that empathy can only occur when someone's aware of of the feelings that are involved. So, I, uh, it, like, it's easier for me to relate to the anxiety of a parent bringing their son to kindergarten when I have a son. And I think that empathy for some people can be very difficult, and and I think that the principal's commitment to teaching empathy, and, and or, or teaching the lens to look at these kids is really important. I, I guess my question is this: there's there's two directions, there's two ways to do it. One is to do it full school. Uh, another, well, actually, maybe three. Another is, uh, and, and Tom, you're, you're going more the full school approach. Mm -hmm. uh, another is the core group approach that uh, Alicia's school is using. And then another is just to have a single teacher um, say, you know what, I'm going to start doing this with a kid because I think it's the right thing to do even though the rest of my building isn't embracing it. Um, I think that, there are, that they are all viable ways to go. If if you asked me, um, though, and I'd like like to hear from each of you, and Basil, we're keeping you unmuted now because apparently your <laughs> location um, is uh, is it has has reduced howling uh, from the blizzard dramatically. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, my question is, uh, what uh, I tend to be a full school guy because I think that without a school leader who is um, invested in this, that while it would be great for a core group to be doing this and while it would be great for an individual teacher to be doing this, for this to spread throughout the building, it's going to be hard to make that happen without leaders who are leading the charge. What do each of you think of that? I agree 100%. We need leaders that are definitely going to lead the charge so that 
the core group of teachers don't have to be the only ones pushing through when we have other obstacles, colleagues and tenures and unions that sort of put roadblocks up for us, but we need somebody advocating for the teachers as well as the students that want to do this because they know that it works. And that does start with school leadership. If you don't have that, you don't have that person going forward, I feel as though you're in the situation that I'm participating in where it's a core group of people that are trying to do it and, and make our way another way. Not that my principal doesn't support what it is that I'm doing, but to be able to do it on a whole school form would be much more successful, I feel. Well, and well, let, let me hear, let's hear from the others. Basel, since you, 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 um, you, you have the um, merit badges for braving a snowstorm to participate in the program, let's let you go next. Well, I, I agree. I think that the the more the it's easier when it, when it, any approach to systemic is going to have much more of a chance for success. So, if you can get a school wide, or in our case, if we can try and implement a district wide, the, there's more chance of more kids being helped, and then more chances of other people seeing that that's working, and et cetera, et cetera. But it, when it always comes down to, you know, the classroom teacher saying this kid is not going to make it if we don't try something different, then you got to try something different, you know? So whatever's going to work for kids, I mean, it's easiest when everybody's doing it, but it's it's not always easy to get every, the people to change how they do things, even if what they're doing isn't working. Mm -hmm. yeah, Tom, I, what do you think? I, well, I think that, Puzzle, are you a principal? I'm, I didn't know your role, I'm sorry. I thought I know oh, Ross was joking that you were a weatherman, but... I am a weatherman, but uh, I have been a principal, but I'm, I'm currently working as a learning specialist in our district. So I'm, I work in district office, and I, I'm responsible for a bunch of portfolios. Okay. Uh, well, you know, yeah, Ross, I, I would agree that whole school is the way to go, and I think that the the real root problem here is is teaching principals how to have the right lens. And then once they have the right lens, it's easier for them to – Utilize. There's such a limited amount of time that a principal has to affect curriculum, social and emotional learning, <clears throat> and and the culture of the building. So, for me, it's it's been um, it's such a priority for me to address the needs of all students. Collaborative problem solving isn't just for kids who are at risk. It's for kids who may be bored and are very bright and come from good homes. They still need to be supported so that school is engaging for them. Collaborative problem solving works for all the kids and, and, and for the adults that are maybe stuck and, and need to get unstuck. I've used it with my staff. I I, I used to to joke uh, with Kim Hopkins, you know, that I, I use it at home sometimes. So I think that, that it, it really is a, a process for having conversations that's good for everybody. But I'm not convinced that, that as Basel, I think Basel said very clearly uh, that some principles don't come in with that lens on. So I guess that begs the next question. If you're a principal um, and you're listening or you're reading Lost at School, you're in a great position to, or an assistant principal, you're often in a great position to say, you know, now the lenses are on, um, and you're saying, I want to do this in my building. The question I always get is, um, if I'm not the principal, how? what do I do to approach my principal to make this 
start moving in this direction. Can I answer that one? That's really important. Absolutely. Um, I think we'll hear from all three of you. Oh, great. Can I go first? Because it, it, the, the key to that one is that if you can show that – I think it was uh, Alicia who said, said you know, doing it on your own is kind of hard in a way or with a small group, but if you get really good results, administration will listen. Absolutely. I was going to say administration, especially now in these times, are very much about the data and what the data is showing. So if you can collect that data and bring it to your principal and say, look, it, this is what I've been doing. This is why these students here have not been accessing the discipline program. Because what I'm doing with collaborative problem solving is working. So how can we get this going in the school? What is that going to look like? How can I be a part of it? Because they know that sometimes you have to craft things in a way and market things in a way that people are going to get excited or buy into. And if you can start with the principal and show them the data, that's, I think, the first good step. Yeah, I agree. I think that we are becoming a data-driven school system and that if you can prove it, they can't deny it. And that's actually a nice thing from 10 or 20 years ago. You know, at least now there's evidence, and the evidence shows that what you're doing isn't working. It shows the number of hours that administrators are spending dealing with discipline issues, that the number of kids that are out of school. And I don't know about in the States, but I know in Canada, when you kick a kid out of school and you want to go look for them, they're across the street. Like, they're, they're still around, you know. Yeah. They're just yeah. not in the school building. So, you know, the, the amount of time and supervision and, you know, calling the police and stuff like that, like, really, it's, this is such, it's so much easier to go a different way. And these, these are children that we're talking about, children that um, are still learning and growing. And not only are we, are we responsible for them academically, but we are responsible for what we put out socially and emotionally as well. We have these children in our, I mean, at least where I'm at, five days a week, six hours a day, that's a, that's a lot of time and time that maybe we need to look at how is it being spent and how can I use that time to collaboratively problem solve with the child because it's not something that necessarily takes a large amount of time. It can when you're first getting started, but it's something more, like you said, they're going, the children are going to be, are going to be somewhere. And if they're going to be somewhere, then we still have to teach them the skills that they need to function and, and coexist with others and engage positively. We can't do that if we're just shipping them somewhere and saying, well, it doesn't work for them, so let's just do what we've always done because that's just what we do. Yeah. When you all say data, there are there are schools are not only data driven they are also um oriented in many places toward um empirically supported treatments now collaborative problem solving is empirically supported the studies on it working in schools are not out yet but the studies on it working in other places uh are out um so that does help but i'm not exact but truth is there are other programs that people often point to not going to name any of them by name, but people point to them and say, well, that's empirically supported, but it doesn't work. So um, I think, Alicia, you were talking about data that are specific to an individual child. 
And I guess at the beginning of the program, I was talking about data that are specific to how what we're doing now clearly isn't working. Um, which data are most valued, um, or are they all basically equal? Well, I want to say some of it's I, some of it's equal because I can present what I the data that I can bring and show you know at the, with that individual child, and I feel like I'm going to do that no matter what. And it's one child, and I'm people are going to have to listen because this is what works for this one child. But I think if you had that for the whole the whole group, the whole school, then that's going to be more powerful because and I think it should be data that supports not only the behaviorally challenged, but how it starts to affect your children who are not behaviorally challenged but still maybe didn't know how to problem solve. That this is just another avenue for them. So it's not just targeting one group of kids per se, but all groups of kids. And if that kind of data Maybe we can start getting some real changes in, in whole school. The, the kind of data we're looking at is the amount of time that the student is out of class, the amount of minutes that an administrator is taking out of their workday to deal with discipline issues, the amount of time that the teacher is actually not on task teaching the content of her classroom because she's dealing with the behavioral issues that, that are going on in the class, they're interfering with instruction. And right now in, in our province, we're really big on wanting to raise our test scores. So when there's a lot of stuff that's sort of detracting from that, um, everybody wants to listen because if there's a way of getting classes to hum better so that the teacher can get on with the job of what she needs to do, they're prepared to listen. And so you, you, we're really looking a lot at where, where is your time being spent as an administrator, as a guidance counselor, as a resource and methods teacher, as a classroom teacher, dealing with kids who can't who have all these unresolved problems and lagging thinking skills that they're just causing chaos in the classroom. And that's a different type that, of data. Yeah, and it's easy to find, right? You just have to track it for a couple of weeks, and it's just like, holy cow. <laughs> Tom, any thoughts on that? I, I started, I actually developed an 18-point survey last week for my teachers, and it had... Uh, you know, the, the the class list on the left-hand side and across the top, it's like a, a grid that you can check off a variety of issues, uh, anger, anxiety, being bullied, bullying, depression, death in the family, divorce, emotional neediness. We were just kind of trying to get a a, a, a lot of the stuff that I, that I put there, I just wanted to get a picture of kind of what it's like in the classroom from the teacher's perspective. And so I, I think that there's, you know, my school... We're just starting to really track the data for the for the discipline in the computer because I'm new here and and I think that for me it's it, it, at this school it's more about kind of what's going on and is there some stuff that's happening for students that's being managed in the classroom but not necessarily there's a difference between managing and actually being effective and getting students to the place where they can relax enough to have their minds open to truly learning. And I'm more interested in getting right down to those moments where kids are relaxed and focused enough to really do to to not only learn but to to grow and and, and change. And I think collaborative problem solving really helps that to happen. Certainly, there's always the overall big big heavy hitters, so to speak, of of discipline. And I have enough of those, and we we are dealing with them. But I have found that 
even in, the, in a crisis situation, that following the steps of Plan B with, with skill and being very specific about what the problem is, you can get a lot of movement really quickly. Did that answer your question, Ross? The data is important to me, but it's the skill of the people and in, in, in the, in, in the getting them to get a feel of in the moment how to get the kid to where they need to be if they can is what I really want them to get out of it. It makes sense to me, and I'm betting it makes sense to the people who are listening to this program as well. And unfortunately, we are, even though this was abbreviated today in terms of bringing you all on the air, out of time for today's program. I want to thank our three members of our educators panel who joined in today. Um, and I'm very sorry that it took me, uh, and I'm feeling a bit like a fool for the very simple fix that it took to get them on the air. But I want to thank you all for joining in and thank those of you who've been listening as well. Um, hope you found today's program to be useful. And uh, we'll be back next week with another regular program and next month with a hopefully 45-minute rendition of our educator panel. Have a good week. Talk to you next week.